I think a lot about, to your point, you know, what is your state when you are creating the thing, right? So if you can be ambitious from a very grounded place of self-assuredness and not needing not needing the outcome of the ambition for anything. And I think that if it is driven from a place of stress, the outcome is more stress. Um, and I think that's the interesting dichotomy that our society doesn't explore so much is, you know, what is it to be ambitious and grounded and joyful and full and fulfilled? Um, I don't think there are that many models for it. Um, you know, I feel like I work every day with sort of a knowing that the work that I'm doing will have a lot of impact. And I do have a vision for the work that I'm doing, but I approach it from a place of understanding that there's no rush to get to that outcome and that there might be a way towards that outcome that is very different from any plan that I could put together. And, and in that way, by approaching it from a place that's grounded, calm, at ease, um, open, open palmed is sort of like the feeling of it, right? In that way, I think I can also look for the easiest way of achieving the ultimate outcome. I guess my invitation there is there's an easier way. And you won't get to know what that easier way is until you're actually able to see it. And the thing that's standing in the way of you seeing it is you. Hi, I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and welcome to our Happy Startup Community Podcast. Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world. Whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival, or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats. Each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope that they become a source of inspiration, learning and connection. Enjoy. Does creating impact always have to take effort and hard work? Can you make change without forcing it? According to Ray Chow, it is possible. You just have to hold on less tightly to the outcome and be honest, more honest about why you need to be a change maker. This takes some inner work, which according to Ray, is an exploration into what you don't know that you don't know about yourself. Ray is a former marketing executive, now Reiki master and healer, and also the founder of The Feast. The Feast is a premier innovation convening that has sparked a global movement. Since 2008, The Feast has hosted everyone from the CEO of MTV to NASA, facilitated over 600 events around the globe, and sparked new ventures and campaigns. 
From my understanding, the purpose of the feast is to gather people who can share in their abundance, their gifts and talents, so that they can effortlessly help each other. I believe this work embodies Ray's perspective on how creating impact can be easier and more joyful. For some people, it's hard to let go of the belief that big change takes hard work. But if you can believe that it's possible, maybe you can make it reality. While this all sounds a little woo-woo, I think there's some truth to it, even backed by science. Our perceptions are governed by our beliefs and values and experiences. And so if we can change our beliefs, we can also change what we see and spot different opportunities around us. This episode is a bit of a deep one, and uh, I do recommend, though, that you stick with it. If, if you're struggling at work or in your business and you can't see a way forward, maybe the thing that's getting in your way is actually you. Once you get out of your way, then life will get a lot easier. Enjoy. It's a funny thing, life. Sometimes you feel like you're coasting along or you've got direction or thing, and then (laughs) it likes to slap you in the face. Yep. (laughs) You're on your toes. Exactly. And um, there's this whole thing. I was very much a believer in planning and being prepared and having a direction and, and knowing knowing you know looking ahead in terms of just making sure everything things were lined up so so you knew where you were going mm-hmm. and more and more particularly in 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 the work that we've been doing recently and the people I've been meeting it's just this idea that you have nothing in control right <laughs> there is nothing that you can control and there's yeah. a, there's there's it the 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 illusion of control Right. And the feeling that, yes, I know what I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I know what's going to do. I know what's going to happen, but <laughs> it's just an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the things that I've been slowly trying to accept, kicking uh-huh. and screaming along the way. <laughs> yeah, I love, um, there's this book called The Diamond Cutter. And it's, um, it's about the Diamond Sutras um, by the Buddha. And um, it's about this monk whose teacher tells him to, you know, he's a practicing monk and his teacher says, you know, go out and be in the world and work in business and apply what you know there. And a lot of it is just about like, um, you know, empty, emptiness like the diamond being, he goes into the diamond trade as part of the story, Um, but that any situation inherently is empty. And he talks about how that helps him through, I mean, a a variety of situations, including like, you know, having made an order for, you know, a hundred thousand of a certain size diamond that turned out to be the wrong size that his boss you know, didn't want and having, you know, seeing that as empty and just finding a solution because he wasn't attached to being wrong. You know, it's just like, this is just the situation right now. Um, 
And yeah, I think that's kind of where a lot of the suffering comes from <laughs> is that attachment to the direction, right? Where it's like, mm. oh, you can, you can have a, I think it's, it's okay to have a direction as long as you're not attached to that, right? Like for a sense of ego or success or whatever, like nothing inherently bad about direction, but you're needing it to be the right direction is a problem. <laughs> and I think that's the thing I'm slowly trying to come to terms with because mm-hmm. there's this, um, I th- yeah, the thing I really didn't understand when people used to explain to me about the idea of, you know, being present, trust in, uh, you know, trust the, in your, in trust that the right, you'll be able to do the right thing or, you know, things will turn out okay. Or you'll, um, like you said, don't hold on too much to the future. And I, I was, I was really, I really resisted that because I thought, you know, you need to plan, you need to have a direction, you need to know what you're doing. You need, because I knew, I felt that that was the right thing to do. Well, I was taught that, let's put it that way. But I like what you said in terms of it's, it's not so much, um, you shouldn't plan. Planning's okay. It's just not attaching yourself to the outcomes. Right. Um, and yeah, there's that. Um, I, I remember I've had this conversation a number of times with people recently, and it's this idea, can you be happy and ambitious? Mm. Yeah, that's a big one. And it comes across, <laughs> I think it lands for people in different ways. Uh-huh. I don't know what it means to you, those, what those words mean to you and how, when they're put together like that. Well, it's interesting because I, um, ambition used to literally be my middle name. Um, or at least my Chinese name, uh, which I recently changed my name um, because my Chinese name, which I was, I was given first by my mom, my Chinese name before my American name, and my Chinese name is, there's two characters. The first character is zi, which means like ambition or sort of reaching high success through like focus and study or something like that, I think is the literal meaning. Um, and then the second character is like all good things. And um, my mom then picked my American name, which was Jerry because it kind of sounded like this Ray was the closest thing that she could find. And so, you know, I thought it was so interesting that during my earlier years in New York, I was super ambitious. I mean, like I literally had a moment where I was living in Brooklyn and looking at Manhattan and I was like, I'm going to take over that whole town. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think, I did some cool things and totally burned myself out. And recently I was hiking and kind of like feeling into my name and realizing that both my cousins, um, so my one male cousin, um, his name, his sort of Chinese name, his last character is Chang. Uh, and so, you know, we used to call him Chang Chang growing up and I was talking to my mom and realized that Chang means strong and he's like, like super strong guy. He's like a football player, which is super rare for 
you know, a Chinese guy and he's like really big. And then I was asking, you know, oh, well, what's my other cousin's name? Her name was Ro, like Ro Ro. So we used to call her Ro Ro growing up. And my mom was like, oh, that means soft. And she's like super soft and like, you know, like this like gentle, like effluent kind of person. I was like, wait a minute, this name thing's really interesting. And um, I actually changed my name to Ray, just Ray, because... I was, my, my sense was that if I could just embody all good things, that the ambition would kind of realize itself. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it speaks to the shift that you're talking about, about like planning, but not being attached to the plan, right? Mm. Where if you like, what is it that you're after? in this plan and if you can embody what success looks like now right um not because you did the work to get there but embody whatever that would mean for you now confidence or you know um feeling like you've impacted people or whatever the things are that are important to you then my sense is that you know the world kind of shapes itself around you and you see the world, you know, as a reflection of yourself too. Right. So, um, your experience begins to then be what's reflected to you and you're seeing the success in the moment, Hmm. um, which allows you to not be attached to the realization of the thing so that you can, you know, feel that feeling. Um, and therefore, by not being attached, you can actually make whatever changes or do whatever is most appropriate. Um, because again, like you're not attached to this is the outcome of the plan and you're actually more adaptable to, um, the reality of the situation. So yeah, that's my take on ambition. I don't, I just still don't know if you can have ambition and be happy. I think that you can, as long as the ambition is driven from the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do see a lot of people who are driven from a very like heart centered service oriented place. And I do believe that you can, I think you can have ambition and happiness. I guess it's just, if the ambition is, is driven from a place that's fulfilling something that um, should otherwise be fulfilled internally by yourself, then I think it's destined for failure. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. If it means achieving that thing is going to validate yourself as a person, then maybe you need to reconsider. Yeah. should look somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I think we have there's a lot there that we could probably go into a bit more but before that I th- it would be nice for the people listening um to get a bit of context behind yeah. some of these little stories that you've been <laughs> sharing there so Sorry, just dove in there that's great no i like it i prefer it that way i don't like it to be too structured um for me i like these conversations to flow and, and so uh let's let uh the listener and know a bit more about yourself um what would be nice is a a little tell us where you are at the moment in terms of what are you doing Mm -hmm. um and then 
a quick journey as to how you got to where you are. Sure. So right now I live in Los Angeles, California, and uh, my life is a blend of healing work, um, working with social entrepreneurs, change makers um, of various kinds, um, innovators who are here to make the world a better place um, and really supporting them from the inside out. And I do that through um, advisory that works with people to understand um, you know, their psychology and connect and communicate with each other as teams. Um, I do that through uh, facilitating community and reflection uh, and um, spiritual energy practices um, that I've dove in really deep into that are really about unlocking our purpose here on the planet, um, holding various retreats, um, convenings uh, that share these different practices with people. And also facilitating the feast, um, which is uh, a global series of dinners that are about um, helping people who are heart-centered change makers um, connect really authentically with each other uh, in support of each other's uh, genuine fulfillment um, and uh, creating a world of abundance really. Um, through sharing and receiving um, support, expertise, advice, uh, the, the real abundance that we have sort of locked within um, us, sharing it uh, more broadly with each other. Um, yeah. Yeah, Lovely. so that's what I'm doing now. Thank oh, you. Oh, you want, and a little background about how I got here? Yeah, so why don't we start off with... Um, yeah, there's a there. You know, we talked previously, and there's a very clear path to where mm-hmm. you are now, that, mm-hmm. and it's connected. And the and the way I understood it, the journey is very connected to what you're doing at the moment. What happened along yeah. that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you know, they say that um, you're here to experience life, so that you can help people along a similar path. And so, you know, thinking back, I was probably the kind of person that would need my help now. (laughs) In that, I used to live in New York and uh, was, you know, working in the creative industries, um, communications, startups, things like that. And um, bringing people together, similarly, social change makers, innovators, et cetera, from across disciplines to make the world a better place through the feast um, and was very well-intentioned, um, young and had a lot of energy <laughs> and um, had a lot of willpower. And so uh, created the feast as in its first iteration as a gathering, um, a conference of these really extraordinary, you know, people from across design, entrepreneurship, business, photography, fashion, all of these various industries. Um, And, um, you know, created a really world-class event um, where people were sharing their expertise and sharing, you know, 
their knowledge from whatever industry they were in um, and sort of creating this, what a friend called like Medici effect um, of sharing of just, you know, cross pollination from all of these different sectors. Um, so these events were super inspiring, um, really helped galvanize a community in New York that didn't exist yet. Um, it was very early days in 2008, just when, you know, Fast Company was coming up and starting their Fast Coexist um, social good brand, Good Magazine was emerging, so all of these sort of um, uh, media slash community, you know, creative industry zeitgeist, if you will, um, bringing into the public consciousness that you could blend doing good with, um, you know, design and um, the market and things like that. Um, and, you know, really created a pretty powerful, um, powerful convening, powerful community, and um, continued that through 2011, at which point um, we, we took a break and sort of reflected on, you know, what the community needed next. Um, still being young and foolish, I thought we should go even bigger <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, bring the concept of social innovation into the broader public consciousness. Um, so we came back and in 2012 with the feast, uh, made it much more participatory, more problem solving oriented. Um, so we would tackle, you know, challenges, uh, social change challenges. Um, ranging from the future of education to the future of healthcare, um, you know, resilience and disaster preparedness, um, partnered with, you know, the White House, NASA, Intel, all sorts of um, big fancy organizations um, around these different challenge briefs, and launched the dinners, which um, of which there are over 200 all over the world um, on the same night as our conference. So we'd do this big event and then we'd have all these ripples all around the world, um, 7 p.m. local time. And um, it was really at the height of uh, this gathering uh, that was, again, super inspiring, catalyzed a whole bunch of beautiful projects and ventures, many of which I probably don't even know about. <laughs> kind of like continue to ripple out. Um, but in 2013, um, my stepfather got really sick and um, I ended up in the hospital very drastically um, taking care of him sort of very suddenly. And it was at that moment, just for like a confluence of different reasons, um, but I kind of realized that for all of the social change work I was doing, I hadn't really been spending nearly enough time with my family. Um, you know, I knew a lot of people, but I didn't have a lot of deep relationships uh, because I was doing this sort of like startup grind. And um, it really threw me into um, deep inquiry, I guess you could say, uh, around what my priorities were and uh, where things were at with me and this organization that I'd started. That paired with um, learning Reiki at the hospital through a series of serendipitous events um, really started uh, 
a huge realignment of um, my life where um, I really started, you know, the feast was great and it was doing a lot of great things, but it wasn't right. That makes sense. Um, there are a lot of things that uh, just weren't exactly head on the nail um, with it. And after that moment, you know, whether you want to say it's because of the energy work or this reflection, I kind of just had this feeling that um, this wasn't exactly it. Um, and I could, you know, charge forward and try to make this it. <laughs> or uh, I could take a step back again and try to understand what it really is. Uh, and so I decided to take a step back. Um, moved to California, which is what all good uh, rediscovered spiritual people do. <laughs> and uh, did the inner work of really understanding um, why I was even in this business to begin with, um, you know, really wondering what it is my actual gifts are that I'm offering the world and what it is that I actually want. Um, you know, I had started the feast in 2008 and, you know, super young, just trying a thing. Uh, and it had gone a particular direction and I kind of kept momentum with that direction just because, you know, I think sometimes we just kind of start to assume that like, this is, this is just the way things need to go. And so just kind of really took the time to, uh, you know, erase the chalkboard, if you will, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and start from scratch and say, okay, uh, how do I really want this to be? Um, and in the process of that, you know, inner, inner work and inner digging started, uh, seeing a lot of, uh, patterns, belief structures that I think, uh, limited my understanding of what might be possible, um, for how my life could be, uh, and, and, or, you know, what, what this thing, the feast could be and how it could be structured and so started again just doing digger deeping uh, deeper digging and and work around sort of some of these belief structures and and the more that um i was able to to heal and um rewrite those beliefs or you know engage them in a different way the more i could see my perspective shifting and opening up um, in a way that uh, was super revelatory um, as far as, yeah, just my understanding of, of really, you know, how, how our world is so shaped by um, our experience and our, what we have known as possible um, as far as how we've developed as, as human beings. So, I don't know if that's a very short answer to, to how I got here, but um, that's sort of been a little bit of my journey. No, that's, that's great. There's lots of things and I didn't want to spoil your flow. Yeah. Um, so what I heard, what it sounded like was there's this journey that you had with building the feast yeah. and what success meant for the feast was based on a set of beliefs that you had around 
life for one of a better yeah. term let's keep it very general but there was an and this may be where the first question is is like it seemed like there was an understanding that the the feast needed to do something mm-hmm. and and with that initial kind of momentum success you felt the need to continue to make it do something mm-hmm. and and there was a shift at some point where you realized that something wasn't necessarily the thing that needed it, it needed to happen to be and maybe the question is are you able to articulate what you thought the feast or what it was you where it was you were supposed to be taking it you thought you should be taking it to and now where you you saw yourself what you saw yourself doing now that yeah. you've had this inner work yeah. if that makes sense yeah yeah and i so you know where the feast was at previously i think was very reflective of you know like you said, who I was, right? So before all the healing work, I think I was pretty conceptual, um, pretty intellectual, and um, a little bit top down. So that's a lot like a lot of our society. <laughs> so that was very rewarded right we love ideas we love big ideas we love new ideas um and so the feast was very much about this kind of like excitement energy um around possibility now possibility is not inherently bad but um you know a lot of the feast was uh around you know what was what was the newest thing that was happening um and you know that that has a natural excitement to it um so it was featuring you know new technologies where things were headed in the future um you know future-based innovation um and i think that there's kind of an interesting parallel here in general um with the world because i that that sense of possibility and obsession with the future sometimes i feel like comes from the discomfort of sitting with the present Mm. and that a lot of my own sort of looking to the future or creating what was new or tackling the million problems out there which i which i previously thought i had to this is my own internal construct I have to save the world, right? That was the belief structure. The world is fucked. It's going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and I have to fix it. I have to help. Um, and it was a have to energy, right? It wasn't like, this brings me joy. It was like, this is a mess and we have to do everything possible as fast as humanly possible. Which I think a lot of young people are feeling that now. Um, and it was coming from a place of that kind of anxiety, right? Uh, which was also partially driving the bigness of it, right? That we were tackling three to five different challenges every year, right? And doing research in all of these different issue areas and talking to experts and stakeholders and bringing them all together. It's like, um, that's a lot. And so where the feast was, again, I think was reflective of this um, anxiousness with the present catapulting into the brain 
which is looking for solutions and problem solving and um, newest, best, greatest, fastest, um, right? Uh, again, not always bad, um, but I think where I've started to integrate um, that exploration of possibility and future-oriented thinking has been um, like down and into the body and into the into the present moment, right? And so um, the feast is now much more a reflection of uh, I think where I'm at, where um, the belief is that uh, how do I say? that the possible reality is one of abundance, um, that that's the truth, and that um, what's needed is um, authentic connection, sharing, and support in order to sort of unlock that abundance. And that um, problem solving from the mind isn't the only thing that uh, and maybe isn't even the thing that will save hmm. us, right? Hmm. Um, it's it's relationship, it's collective and personal healing, it's um, yeah, being okay with the truth of the present moment um, in a way that we can act from a place of alignment and groundedness, and not from catapulting into um, an idea of what might. Uh, save us or make things better, um, but just being okay with the truth. Um, so that's where I think the feast is at now. And I think, you know, um, I feel like the feast has been a really great teacher in that way um, around, you know, I talk about abundance a lot, but I think maybe even more than that, there's a sense of enoughness that the feast is teaching me. Um, because even, even now sometimes, or it, it's been this like gradual downshifting of my anxiousness around what's enough. Um, even when I came up with this new format, there was a part of me that was like, no, but it has to fix a problem, right? Like <laughs> we have to tackle some problem. Um, and it just keeps saying like, no, it's enough to just, you know, um, invite people to share and connect and um, the, prob the, the problems will solve themselves coming out of that and you don't need to fix the problems. So, yeah, that's... I love what you just said there. And um, the word frenetic sprang to mind when you were talking before. You talk about anxiety, the need to quickly solve, to find what's the latest solution. And this very much looking ahead, looking forwards, really just searching around. Yeah. And then when you start sinking into your body, yeah. the energy just dropped for me. And it felt like there's a calmness. But also with that calmness, also you said, mentioned something around joy or doing something that brings you joy mm -hmm. and i link that to the idea of abundance of being able to just use your gifts or use stuff that you that brings you joy to then with that contribute 
and and see that as a way of fixing or solving or things will turn out better if we focus down here i link it back to that that uh, initial conversation about whether you can be ambitious and happy and i i would interpret the freneticism the need to things that the the um not so positive aspects of ambition it's like i need to fix things i need to uh, i need to make things better i have to make things better and the happy part of it is the sitting with i'm enough you know the importance is now and connecting with other people and that that creates and being present with other people and then through that through being together and, and having that connection and particularly through that healing and i'd be like to explore that a bit more with you mm-hmm. through this healing in personal and interpersonal healing then we have a possibility of actually the solutions emerging Right. That's what came across to me when you were talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think a lot about, to your point, you know, what is your state when you are creating the thing, right? So mm. if you can be ambitious from a very grounded place of self-assuredness and not needing not needing the outcome of the ambition for anything then i think you can be ambitious and happy um but oftentimes the ambition has its own uh what do you say needs or needs that it's trying to fulfill right um like what why are you what what is the goal of the ambition um and i think that if it is driven from a place of stress the outcome is more stress mm-hmm. um and i think that's the interesting dichotomy that our society doesn't explore so much as you know what is it to be ambitious and um and grounded and joyful and full and fulfilled um i don't think there are that many models for it um you know i feel like i work every day with sort of a knowing that the work that i'm doing will have a lot of impact and i do have a vision for the work that i'm doing but i approach it from a place of understanding that <laughs> this is getting a little bit out there but that time's not linear mm-hmm. and so there's no rush to get to that outcome mm-hmm. and that there might be a way towards that outcome that again you to your point earlier is very different from any plan that I could put together. And so working towards this very grand vision while also just holding that whatever is in front of me is the thing that's in front of me. Mm. Um and and in that way by approaching it from a place that's grounded, calm, at ease, um open open-palmed is sort of like the feeling of it, right? 
um, then really anything is possible as opposed mm -hmm. to only a very much more narrowed um, number of choices. And in that way, I think I can also look for the easiest way of achieving the ultimate outcome, um, which I think has been a really important uh, learning for where I'm at now. I feel like I'm almost a Taoist at this point. <laughs> um, but I think it's so interesting that, you know, in nature, all animals, beings, like they all look for the easiest way, right? What is the way that I use the least energy, resources, uh, water flows downhill, uh, birds try to, you know, glide with the wind. I think we're the only creature that, you know, sets out these plans um, that doesn't listen to the natural ebb and flow um, and, and sort of just tries to power through. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, I guess my question is like, what is it that you're really after? Mm. Right. Um, especially yeah. for change makers, it's like, you know, are you after the change or are you after your idea of how the change is going to happen? that's i love that idea i love so the thing that when you're talking about what's driving the change the the idea of the quality of the energy that you use to make that change uh -huh. and i think of for some reason i thought my daughter loves to paint uh -huh. uh, and she always gets angry when she washes her paintbrush and then puts it into the white paint, but because it went into water that was already got black or red in there, it, the, it's not white anymore. Right. And so if the quality, so if that water was pure white and it came, you know, a pure, pure water, it hadn't been dirtied in any way, you'd have a lovely, beautiful white stroke on your paper. Right. Right. But if that's tainted in some way by the need to to impress or the need for status or you know, the need to feel like you were the person who fixed things. Right. And that creates this energy in thinking and I need to be the best or I need to be the one who does, who does this. Then it brings the wrong energy to the outcome potentially. Right. Yeah. And, and it makes it not as pure. Or, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, from a much more tactical perspective, it plays out in all of the relational dynamics of your organization, right? Because this is sort of like, we've got the conceptual like high level stuff, but then there's like the, we all are human beings with these patterns, right? Of behavior. Um, maybe I had, you know, a parent growing up who questioned my every choice or action and made me feel like I could never do anything right, right? I'm going to bring that dynamic into every relationship that I have. Um, and if I'm leader of an organization, my organization is going to start to reflect this dynamic that I have um, consciously or unconsciously, right? Usually unconsciously. So all of a sudden my relationships with all of the people that I work with are driven by a sense that they don't think that I'm good enough um, and therefore I either overachieve and make everybody work harder than is actually necessary, or I, um, you know, feel like, you know, people at the worst, I feel like 
you know, people don't think that I'm good enough and I hire people that, you know, aren't actually the best on, you know, the best people um, possible and don't, don't trust them because I have sort of a reactionary tendency. So I think you see this a lot with just, you know, leaders of various companies um, in how corporate structure and how the company becomes a reflection of, especially its founders, um, you know, just merely through um, how they start to structure their teams and their organizational development, just the culture of the organization. So even just from a very tactical perspective, um, you know, the how, how, mm. how you do it really changes things. Yeah. So I'm thinking now whether it's the outcome that you're trying to create or the culture that you start to build in the organization around you, mm-hmm. um, these things can be driven by hidden forces that you're not aware of. Right. And you talked earlier about the idea of the inner work. Yeah. So maybe elaborate a bit more on that and what that means and how that can then affect yeah. the culture sure. you create and the, and the impact you want to make. Yeah. So I think the inner work is really just getting to know, <laughs> getting to know what you don't know about yourself. <laughs> mm. Um. There's a friend who sort of draws a circle and says, you know, this is all that we know. Um, and then there's all that we know that we don't know. And then there's all that we don't know that we don't know. Right. And the inner work kind of lies in that, what we don't know, we don't know circle, which is very big. <laughs> um, very scary. Super scary. Um, because it's, it's often all the stuff that makes you feel right um, or gives you a sense of security um, and or is there to protect you. So looking at it um, can be very threatening um, because it's calling into question um, things that have been set up to keep you feeling safe, feeling valuable, feeling... Um, like you're in control or know what you're doing. Um, and also calls up a lot of feelings, um, which I think Western culture and even Eastern culture doesn't really value, right? Um, it's not good to, yeah, it's not, feelings are sort of seen as something sometimes that hardly even exist or um, aren't of, any value or something that people Sign can get over. Even. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the value of looking at them though and experiencing them, engaging them, developing a relationship with them, again, is really understanding what's driving you, um, truthfully what's driving you as opposed to your idea of what's driving you. Um, ultimately understanding what will bring you uh, satisfaction. Um, Because if you're driven by something that um, you think will satisfy you, 
but actually won't. Uh, you might just spend a lot of your life <laughs> enduring a lot of pain um, only to feel unsatisfied. Um, and then ultimately, again, being successful at, at what you really value, right? Um, so often in the social change world, there's a kind of interesting paradox here where people who have been affected by an issue are the ones who go out and do something about it, right? Um, women who have experienced, um, you know, inequality um, or abuse, um, people who have been refugees or experienced um, that just immense challenge of displacement um, and trauma that comes with it. Um, people who have, you know, gone through these experiences and then realize, you know, we should help other people like that carry often, often will carry with them the impacts of having gone through that experience, um, which can then limit their success at actually addressing um, that challenge, right? So um, if you are someone who um, has experienced some sort of um, trauma, whether it's from suicide or um, from um, you know, gender issues, it becomes really challenging to engage with people, talk with people um, who have a you know, different perspective, different view, who um, you know, might not even understand um, how challenging that situation is. And you may have a worldview that you know, might be triggering, that uh, might make those kinds of conversations triggering or um, limit your own belief in whether you are valuable enough to receive um, a massive amount of support, right? Um, even though that's maybe what um, you should receive. Uh, there can be all of these internal structures that are set up um, that suggest, you know, you're not worth a $20 million grant. You're not worth <laughs> um, people's admiration and, and respect. Um, and certain conversations might be, might be triggering and result in um, an outcome that's not helpful to you or your organization. And so in particular with, with change making, um, I think it's hugely important for people to be able to do that inner work, to be able to come at um, their work and, and co the conversations that are needed as a result of them um, from a place of wholeness and from a place of resource and um, confidence to actually succeed at what they're trying to do. Um, there was a really amazing woman who um, spoke at a conference recently on so, sort of social good work and she does this amazing work um, teaching uh, handicapped people how to dance. And she was talking about how she went to this retreat um, of, of other change makers and it was really intense. And then finally one day um, she just cracked and she realized that she hadn't dealt with an issue um, uh, that was really painful for her that had affected her own self-confidence in this work. Um, it was a very personal issue that happened. And ever since that moment, she's been like making these massive partnerships with Apple and with, you know, all of these huge companies who are paying her tons of money to come in and do these performances and to, to create these different partnerships. 
you know, it was her own self-limiting beliefs around um, her worth that were holding her back. And I guess that's where I see this work being really important and so powerful for the people who are trying to make a positive impact in the world is that, um, you know, if you're not coming from a place of wholeness and seeing the worth of what you're doing and seeing that it can and will change the world really fundamentally, um, then no one else is. Hmm. I remember the very first time I talked with a coach, um, I was talking about the feast and uh, she said to me, you know, like, do you think you'll change the world? And I, I honestly told her, no, I don't. I mean, I don't think that this one conference will change the world, you know, like it'll be a part of it maybe. And she was like, well, if you don't think it's going to change the world, no one's going to like, it's just not going to. <laughs> It was like my, the very baby days of me sort of like doing this work, you know. Um, and it, now, then it was like groundbreaking. I was like, what are you talking about? And now I'm like, of course, that makes total sense. Like, of course, like I have to believe deep down that this is going to have the impact that I want it to have if it's going to have that impact. And so the question becomes then what's standing in the way of your believing that, hmm. right? Um, and I guess that's where the inner work comes in. Um, no, that's beautiful. I, I, it's working with lots of entrepreneurs and, and, and people trying to grow their businesses. Uh, and also I've found it myself. Sometimes there's a belief you just need to work harder. You need to find the right answer. You need to look for the right strategy. Um, but what you said there is that actually maybe it's just something I just don't believe that I can do this. Yeah. And there's a real deep emotional block there that in a sense is like, I think of it like you're looking at the world and your hand is just covering the bit with the answer. Right. You don't even realize it. Right. And you've got to get someone to say, smooth that out of the way. <laughs> That's why there's, that's where the answer is. Right. And, and the interesting, so the, for some people who are listening to this, I'm hoping there's, you know, people who are head driven, want to make their startup or the uh, social impact um, startup, do the thing that it needs to do in the world. Um, oh, I'll tell a little story first. We were, supposed to move into a co-working space one time and we were told we did it didn't work in the end and there's this like a cultural mismatch or just a feeling that wasn't right there and I, I heard someone tell um tell a story about someone in the co-working space said oh yeah the happy startup school they say they help founders create disruptive businesses but all they do is just disrupt the founders <laughs> <laughs> and it's this idea that the inner work stuff is disruptive and stops you from moving forward and actually just makes you spiral out and is actually de detrimental to business rather right. than what you were saying there actually could uncover a lot of things or actually level you up yeah. as a business in a way yeah. that you'd never thought before. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so for someone who, for that, this person who's listening to this, I'm not going to go near the emotion thing. It just, it sounds like a bottomless pit and I just don't want to touch it. How, how would, how would you talk to them to just, like you said, open up their heart and. Yeah. (sighs) I think that this is an interesting The way you frame that is really interesting. I guess my invitation there is there's an easier way. And you won't get to know what that easier way is until you're actually able to see it. And the thing that's standing in the way of you seeing it is you. Um, So I'll give just an example personally. Um, Again, part of the reason I started doing the work was that I started seeing, for example, um, places where I didn't necessarily trust um, relationships. That was just a part of my own personal dynamic um, that I started realizing. Um, Because I felt like I was the one who had to save the world, um, I didn't trust other people. I didn't trust that other people would be there to show up for me. I didn't trust um, that, uh, I could depend on other people or, or therefore create structures that, um, were cooperative. Right. And as I started to do the work, I started to see, literally see, um, business models and, um, mainly, you know, shifting actually towards literal cooperatives Um, as a model that became more and more possible for me as I started doing the work. And that's just one very basic example, but um, it's one that I think might resonate because it just, it just rippled out into everything from um, how I was able to work with people, who I was able to work with, Um, The fact that I could give away projects and not feel a scarcity mindset um, around them, resulting in more projects coming back to me. Um, Again, seeing a business structure that meant that, um, you know, there might be more shared decision-making, but also a much bigger pie for everyone. Like these are things that I just wasn't physically capable of comprehending before doing the work because there was a part of me that, that felt that if I trust people, I will be let down and um, I will fail, right? So if you have that belief structure, you can be sure that all of your perspective is reinforcing that, right? So you're not letting in information, or even if you are letting in um, a model that maybe someone suggests to you, right? Um, who 
doesn't have that perspective, you're still going to be looking at it from your own perspective, right? Um, that it's not actually viable because X, Y, and Z, as opposed to um, seeing where and why it could be viable and applicable to your own context. Um, you know, maybe very applicable to your own context. Um, again, your, your perspective is skewed, right? Mm. So that's just, you know, one very tangible example from my own experience that I, I literally witnessed how um, the brain and its, its neural networks and capacities really change and shift as you do the inner work. And it's kind of like a 3D eye puzzle. Like, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, like you see the ship. Mm. Um, you, and it just becomes apparent, right? Once you can actually see clearly. Mm. Um, can it take some time to get there? Sure. Is it challenging to do that when you're a startup? Totally. <laughs> mm. um, and, and at the same time, I think all the more important too, especially as you're pivoting and to your point, like looking for the right fit or the right, you know, strategy, um, it becomes all the more important to really call into question why you favor a particular one, why you wouldn't try, um, you know, one that feels scary or foreign to you. Um, I think oftentimes, especially within startup situations, that conflict, that frustration, that anxiety, that fear is probably your best friend mm -hmm. um, because it tells you uh, where your edges are mm -hmm. um, as far as what you're willing to or not willing to, to look at. Um, I know that in my own world, uh, those frustrations are the moments where I, I know, oh, there's something there. There's a belief there. Um, that I need to dig into because otherwise, why would this frustration be coming up? Mm. So um, that's kind of what I would say um, to a founder, I guess, is just constantly questioning why you're believing what you're believing and whether that's the reality. Um, because that is imperative to success as a mm. startup. Um, and then from a softer side of things, I guess, um, you know, life is short and precious. And, uh, I used to be the kind of person who, you know, would wake up at, uh, sometimes four in the morning and go for a run and work until like 11, 30, 12. And, um, now I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a lot happier. Uh, and my work is more powerful, I believe. Mm. And, um, and it's easier and it can scale more and, you know, all the things that we want. And when you're first starting that shift, <sighs> it can be hard to see that end in sight because again, all of your belief structures are pointing you in the direction that you've already been. Right. Um, I used to be a super angry New Yorker. Like I used <laughs> to be come to California and be like, why is everybody talking to each other? 
at the front of the line asking each other how their day is. I need my coffee and I needed it fucking five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> so when you're in it, you don't, you just don't know, right? Mm. It's like you have blinders on. Um, mm. And that's okay, right? Uh, but there is more joy possible. There is more um, freedom. There's more um, grace. And sometimes it's just about curiosity. Mm. Um, do, do things have to be the way that they are? What is it that I actually want? Um, and then getting curious about, you know, what it is that I don't know that I don't know that could make me better at doing my job and, um, taking those signs of, of frustration, anxiety, burnout, illness as keys and clues to where, um, how do I say those are, those are the rabbit hole, I guess. Those point to the rabbit hole of where mm. um, those beliefs lie. Yeah. And that's, I think, the, the potential uh, fear that people have of that rabbit hole and not getting lost in it. Right. But what I hear, or what, what came across for me, is if you want to play the long game, right. if you want to... You know, rather than, all right, how can we exit in five years and just work our nuts off until that happens? Mm -hmm. How do you play the long game? If you want to play the long game and and, and be around, <laughs> but also create that definition of success that's really true to you, there's that short-term pain, potentially, or there's a bit of a work that needs to be done here yeah. that can then guide you, it sounds like, and make you aware of maybe the the wrong turnings that you might make because of the signs you're not seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And in part because, you know, can there be trade-offs? I mean, sure. Right. If you're building a startup to exit in five years, <laughs> it's very specific. Um, maybe you're not trying to do it as Yoda. But <laughs> um, I think it's still important to call into question where and how and why you're doing things uh, because even in that five years, right, uh, you might make decisions to go down a particular path because of how you're hardwired um, that you don't know about that might take you down a path that is not the best path. Um, and you won't know why you're going down that path. Um, and you won't know why you're hitting the road bumps with, with your partners that you are or with your uh, clients um, until it gets really hard or until there, maybe there's a breaking point, right? I think hmm. it's, easy, it's easy to say, oh, we'll sell in five years. Sure. <laughs> of course, everybody, everybody will, right? Um, exactly. just got to get there first, make all the right decisions. That's easy. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, really understanding the self regardless of, of what stage you're at is important. 
you don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, go the route of, um, yeah, doing all the inner work and coming at it from the right place from, from the start. There's lots of different ways of doing it. Um, but yeah, I think if you are looking to lead a lifestyle um, and create an organization that um, is long lasting or has, has big impact, um, I think that it's, it's always best to build a house on a sturdy foundation, right? Um, and that foundation is you. exactly well there's a lot i could talk for hours with you there seems to be there's there's so many other things i wanted to talk to you about but i'm also conscious uh, uh, of your time but also maybe there's there's another interview that we can do to to (laughs) scratch some other things is yeah particularly i'm curious about the inside out approach that you were talking about earlier and also how you help people find that purpose and what that work is um but um but i think there's enough for some you know there's definitely a lot here for for the listener to digest what maybe would be useful is if um, people wanted to know more about your work and what you do maybe share some links or places they can find you if they wanted to get in touch with you um, yeah. what would you like them to to go to sure um so the easiest place is just to find me on my website this is um you can also email me at this is at gmail.com sorry this is at gmail.com i'm also on instagram this is raychow um mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I'm happy to share more about um, anything that I'm working on, um, answer any personal questions that people might have, um, even if it's just to have a chat about you know, exploring this line of work. Uh, happy to share any resources or um, just personal experience, answer any questions. So yeah, I'm here for you. So feel free to get in touch. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School podcast. We're on a mission to help purpose-driven entrepreneurs and individuals find more alignment between what they believe and the work they do. Because for us, happiness is when what you think, say and do are all aligned. Happiness isn't just a passive feeling, but an active way of living, which isn't always easy, but when it's done right, can be effortless. We're on a mission to help you find happiness by providing tools, courses and community that inspires you to follow the journey of building a happy startup. This will require finding out more about yourself as well as learning how to build a purposeful business. If you're excited by this, then please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform and then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com. You can also read our blog at ahappy.link forward slash read.